Hey, good morning again. We're in a series called Intensive Care, and if, if this is your first time to be part of the series, we're three weeks into it today. It's a, it's a combination of me sharing scriptures and at the same time also sharing some personal things about what God taught me in a difficult time in my life. Uh, if you're from a traditional church, let me just kind of give you a little idea about what New Spring. Here, it's very important for us to be real and to be transparent. And, and it starts with me. I want all of you to know that I'm not a Christian superstar. I'm a Christ follower like you. And as you struggle, I have some struggles in my life. And I've tried to always be honest with you about them because I fear hypocrisy a great deal more than I fear being transparent. So I just want to share with you that, uh, and as, as I have the first two weeks, that Late last year, I went through a really difficult time. It was a, a time that was unusual. I've never been through anything like it before, to be honest with you. New Spring has been, uh, a, I've been here for 26 years, but the last seven or eight years at New Spring have been extraordinary. We went through a transition, um, and then, you know, we, it was a difficult time, but then we began to grow explosively. And I keep wondering, when is that growth going to tail off? It looks like this year is going to be our greatest year of growth yet. And, uh, and I just have shared with those of you who have high-stress uh, lifestyles, whether you're, you know, have high-stress lifestyle because you're, because you're in the corporate world or because you're a mom or both, um, I just want to say to you that even good things can bring stress in your life. And, and I was experiencing that, just plus the challenges of leadership that are part of my world and have been for a long time. I spend most of my day making decisions. And, and so the stress had built up on me. And I was able to deal with it most of the time, but then I started having some physical problems late last year, and I don't usually have physical problems. I've been blessed with wonderful health, and doctors couldn't really figure out what was going wrong with me, and the symptoms were getting worse and worse, and I was freaking, and, and my deal, and this is where it really comes to a, a point of transparency, my biggest issue in life has been anxieties. Anxieties will take the ball and run. I can deal with a normal circumstance or situation, but I can find something to be concerned about, something to be afraid of. And so as I was having health problems and stressed and exhausted and all the things that went along with that, I began to be concerned that, well, maybe, maybe my time has come. And I realize that happens to people. But I wasn't concerned about dying. As I've shared with you before, I not only have to give an account to God for my own life, I have to give an account for the 35 years that I've been a pastor. And I've made hundreds and hundreds of decisions that have shaped in many respects, the destiny of a church. And I've always been a little bit of a risk taker. And so as I begin to analyze all the decisions I've made, I don't know how you are, but I'm really hard on myself. And I begin to think, wow, if I'm hard on myself, how hard is God going to be on me? Because I begin to think about many things that I've done wrong. So I went to God and I said, God, I, I just need something from you to show me where I am. And God showed me that there were issues in my life that I, I didn't think about. For instance, I'd always been, and I hate to use this term, but I'm going to go ahead and use it because it's, it's honest. I think I've always been sort of secretly proud that I haven't had the scandals in my life that have plagued a lot of ministers. I'm faithful to my wife, try to be ethical in everything I do. And I think it was, it was important to me, and, it, and it's a healthy thing for it to be important. But I think I was sort of proud of the fact that a lot of the things that have been Achilles' heels for Christian leaders had not been present in my life. And when I, when I went before God to say, God, how do I stack up? God said, oh, Mark, you have a problem in your life. And one of the things that God showed me was that in my high stress, high performance, competitive lifestyle, that a lot of the things that I'd done as a leader, I'd done simply because they needed to be done. 
And God asked me in his gentle way, and I don't, I don't, don't get me wrong, it's not like God showed up and I saw him or heard audible words. It's just like when you have opened your heart to God and all of a sudden messages flood in, and you know those messages don't come from you. It was as if God said to me, Mark, your issue is that you don't love me like you used to. You've gotten to the place where you do all kinds of things, but you do them because you're supposed to do them. And when I heard that, I mean, it was like I went into a tailspin because I began to think, wow, my anxieties took over with that message. It was like, how do I know that I've ever pleased God? So here I am. I'm stressed. I'm exhausted. I'm sick. And beyond that, now I think, how do I know that I've ever really pleased God? And I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into a really difficult time. And I began to close down. The reason why I'm, I'm, I'm telling you all this right now is I want to follow a flight plan with this series. This series is six talks long. And in the first week, I took you to the darkest place. I took you to the beginning of my really dark time. Because I, I asked the question, God, you know, tell me what I need to know when all these things were building up. And it was so interesting because, see, in my competitive lifestyle and in my, in my you know, I'm, I'm not just type A personality. I'm type triple A. There are no pastels in my personality. I'm wanting God to give me a report card. And instead, if you were here in the first weekend, you know that what God said was, Mark, just turn to me. This isn't about you getting a grade. This is not about how you score. This is about you turning to me. So I talked to you about that week one. And, and that was like in the worst part of things at the beginning. And then last week, I took you to the end. Now, that, that's not chronologically sound. I guess I should have waited for six, week six for that. But what I shared with you last week was what, what happened when I just began to come out of this. Because even, the, even though my health hadn't changed, and even though I, I wasn't feeling better like I soon felt later, what turned everything around for me was the awareness of what I talked to you about last week, that no matter what happened to me physically, and no matter how my decisions had come up short through the years, that underneath were the everlasting arms, and I was held by God, and that God would deal with the sum of all fears. So I, I really have given you in week one and week two, the beginning and the ending of it all. Today I want to take you to the middle, though. I want to take you to the lesson that I learned. When I was still having all kinds of problems and issues and my health wasn't better, and, and actually my health was getting worse, and I was going into deep, deeper and deeper stress, I want to share with you the lesson that I learned in the middle. Because my experience has been, and it, could I just take a time out for a moment? Because there are a lot of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. You've hit the wall in one way or another. And your well-ordered world came undone. And so everything I'm saying, you're saying, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's true. That, that checks. But there are some of you out there who are saying, I don't think that's ever going to happen to me. I know two things about you. Number one, you're a man. Number two, <laughs> it is going to happen to you. It will. See, here's the thing. And again, I, I, I was bringing this talk at the 5 o'clock service last night, and I'm up here on stage, and I'm trying to stay away from the word pride, but finally I thought, i got to use it, because that is what was going on with me. I have prided myself on the years as a leader for being the adult in the room, and I have had an ability through the years for a bombshell to drop right in front of me, and I would stay level and calm and strategic. I know what that's like. 
through all kinds of transitions here at New Spring. I know what that's like sitting on boards of directors with other directors freaking and turning and looking at me. I've always had that ability to act as if nothing was wrong. Even though I'm hearing the bombshell just like everybody else, I've always had the capability of sitting there like nothing has happened and saying, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But for the first time in my life, I didn't have that ability because I was closing down. It's fun now. It wasn't fun for a long time. But every once in a while, I'll go back and watch the series I was preaching while I was at my worst. And I watched the first weekend. We just the Hereafter series last December. I watched the first weekend. You can watch me. I'm up delivering the message. It's like nothing's wrong. The second weekend, oddly enough, people will say it's one of the greatest messages I've ever delivered. It was on the worship of heaven from Revelation chapter 5. But I know what's going on inside of me, and I can see as it's beginning to take hold. And then in week three, I watch the message, and I'm thinking, wow, that's not Mark. Because little by little, I was shutting down. And it, everybody around me saw it. And it freaked them. I mean, Mary Alice has known me since high school. And Mary Alice has never seen me just, because I'm a very verbal person. I'm a very expressive person. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an excited person all the time. What you see is what you get. This is how I am. But I wasn't excited, and I wasn't verbal. In fact, my, my closest friend outside of my family is Billy Poor. My executive pastor, Billy, would tell me later, he would say, Mark, I would just bring issues to your office, not because they were important. I just wanted to try to get you to talk. But I was closing down. And, and here's the thing. I got to a place, and I think you will get to a place if you haven't already been there. Well, what you really want is you want just someone to come and take you away. <laughs> this series is, in, is called Intensive Care, and I remember so well the day I came up with it. I'll talk to you next week about how I got started with it. But in my mind, I always thought about it as being, you know, a medical setting, a hospital. Because just like our outer person can need it, emergency care and intensive care, so can our inner person. And just like our outer person can have trauma and need rescue, so can our inner person. And, and as I envision this series, there's, there's a reason why there's a 25-foot helicopter over your head. That became the, the metaphor. That became the moniker for this series. I remember the day I had the idea for the series, I went down to the Dell shop. Dell Poor is the resident genius who produces all of our stuff. And I said, Dell, I'm thinking helicopter. And I thought maybe he would like give us a helicopter like the little man up there directing, you know, the helicopter in. Dell was thinking this. I'm always intrigued by emergency care. I have a son and a daughter-in-law who are both paramedics. And as I shared with you earlier in the series, you know, those people who go out and rescue people who are in trouble, they just have my respect. I've had the privilege of being at several graduation service for paramedics and speaking for a few moments. And I always tell them, you know, it reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan who found the person, stabilized him, transported him, took care of him. That's what emergency care people do. Some of you are in emergency medicine, you're emergency room doctors. And, and I just appreciate so much what you do because you're there on the front lines to save lives. But I, I love, for, for some reason for me, I just love the helicopters. Because helicopters, and the reason why helicopter ambulances became big in the 70s was for two reasons. Number one, helicopters could go places where nobody else could go and rescue someone. And then secondly, helicopters have a way, many people are, are 
have emergency situations, and because they're in congested metropolitan areas, traffic is in the way, and a helicopter can set down and then rise above all the traffic, take the person to safety. It's interesting to me that the first two places that where helicopter ambulances were, were used, um, basically about those two reasons. The first place was in Colorado, because people had injuries on mountains and standard transportation couldn't help them. And the second place was in Houston, Texas in 1976. And the reason why I've chosen the name Life Flight is that's the name of the particular helicopter service in Houston. I graduated from college in 1978 and went instantly to, to pastor in Houston. I don't know if any of you have ever lived there or not, but, or even been through Houston, but Houston is this massive city. And there's a hospital complex on the south side of Houston. It's almost like a city of hospitals. You might not know the name of most of them, but chances are you know the name of one of the hospitals in the complex on the south side of Houston. It's MD Anderson, the cancer center. But there is also Herman Hospital, which is like five. If you can imagine St. Francis, the Christie St. Francis campus, it's like five of them in one place. And Ben Taub, which is city and county, and on and on it goes. There's a city of hospitals. And even though we were on the north side, I would drive to the hospital complex every day, and I would get in traffic on Highway 59 or I-45. Honest to goodness, folks, I remember being on I-59 one day trying to drive down to the hospital complex and being just locked in traffic and seeing the same oil spot on the road out my driver's window for three hours. Well, you can imagine if someone got into a serious car accident, their life was in jeopardy, and if, if the ambulance got caught in traffic. So you, you can see why in Houston, there, somebody had the idea, hey, let's use helicopters, because a helicopter can come down, and, and they can pick up the patient, and they can rise above all the traffic. Or in Colorado, a helicopter can go where nobody else can go. I think that became a, a metaphor for me, because sometime in your life, you're going to need a rescue for your inner person. In order to be a pl you'll be at a place where nobody else can go. Even the people who love you the most, they won't be able to get to you. And you'll just feel within yourself, oh, I, I just wish I could rise out of the traffic for a while. I just wish I could rise outside the noise because what is going on inside of me is so dark and it's so painful that I just wish that someone could pick me up and take me away for a little while. That's why this talk is called Life Flight. I think David, King David, the guy who killed Goliath, I think he was there multiple times in his life, but he certainly was there at what I think was the lowest point in his life. In Psalm 55, David has a serious problem on his hands. Through his own mistakes and through things he had no control over, David had to run for his life even though he, he was king. His son Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom. David escaped because he didn't want a direct confrontation. He obviously didn't want to kill his son, but he couldn't stay. And so he took loyal people in his army, and he left the city of Jerusalem. And as he was leaving the city of Jerusalem, news came to David that he thought he would never hear. Have you ever had somebody that you thought would always be in your corner turn on you and become an enemy? David hears that the, that the counselor that he has trusted, I mean, the, the person who had been David's closest friend, when, when all of his other counselors had left the room, this guy would stay. David got the word that this man had turned on him and actually had begun to advise Absalom how Absalom could kill his father. 
And it's at that moment that David, heartbroken, broke, and he said in Psalm 55, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. But it's you. Well, that wasn't my issue, but it's probably been the issue for a lot of you or some of you. And if it was somebody at work who was trying to destroy you, you could say, I could deal with that. If it was a neighbor that just got, had it in for me, I could deal with that. But I never thought that the man that I stood at an altar with and pledged my life to, I never thought he would turn on me. I never thought my high school sweetheart would not want to be with me anymore. I, I never thought that that person who I felt was the most important person in my world, that I did everything I could to show how much I loved her, how much I loved him. I never thought that person would turn. If it had been an enemy, I could have dealt with it. Or I never thought it was my best friend. David said in 55 verse 4, my heart pounds in my chest. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. And that's when he said it. He said two things. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. I don't know if you catch those two things, but there are two things that stand out to me. Number one, and this is big, and some of you are not going to get this yet, but I hope you follow it away for the future. David had quit asking God for the strength of a lion to fight. He was now asking God for the wings of a dove to fly away. <laughs> if your life is going great today like mine is, we have a tendency to always ask God for strength. God, give me the strength. Juice me up. Give me the strength to face the challenges of the day. Give me that spiritual mojo. Give me that spiritual power. Help me, Lord. Give me the strength of a lion to fight. But when your world falls apart and you hit the wall and you're in this dark place, you're not going to want to fight anymore. You're not going to want to go on anymore. You're just going to say, God, I'm not asking for the strength to fight. Just give me the wings of a dove so I can get out of here. The second thing I noticed is here is a man who is living in a palace with a raft of servants and chefs and people to cook his favorite meal and people to do anything he wanted. And David said, I want out of here and the wilderness looks good. David said, I, I, I would go to the desert. I laugh about this now as I look back on it because when I was going through the worst part, I went to Phoenix. But here is, here is a great man going through the darkest part of his life, and he's saying, I, I, I'm not asking for strength to fight. I don't want to fight. I want to fly. I want to get out of here. I want to be rescued. Now, we're all going to get to this place someday. But herein lies an issue. Sometimes we want to run away from what we can't leave or what we shouldn't leave. I thought about this when I was preparing this message, but I heard a law enforcement officer speak one time about speeders. And he, he talked about interesting answers that officers had gotten when they asked people why they sped. And some were very interesting, some were funny. But he, the officer said, this is my personal favorite. He pulled over a woman in a minivan, and when he got to her window, to talk to her, he could hear that all the, it was filled with kids, and they were all screaming and yelling at the top of their voice. And when he asked her why she was speeding, she said, I was just trying to get away from the noise behind me. <laughs> he said, I had to let her go. <laughs> but no more than that woman could get away from the noise behind her, her kids. You're going to have a circumstance in life where you want to get away, but you can't get away because you... 
either you can't get away because it's a broken world, and how are you going to, if you leave one part of a broken world and go to another part of a broken world, you're still going to have the same things. You can't get away. Oh, let me tell you one of the dumbest things I've heard in church, and there's a lot of competition for that. I'm going to freak some of you out. If you're from a traditional religion, I just hold on to something solid for a few seconds. One of the dumbest things I've ever heard in church is, well, you know, everything is just God's will. I had a car accident. Well, it's got to be God's will. I had robbers break into my house, steal my stuff. But you know what? It's God's will. We've been talking about stuff like everything that happens is God's will. Are you kidding me? I mean, if everything is God's will, then why did Jesus teach us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I mean, if God's will is being done all the time, we're living in heaven. And it looks a lot like Kansas. <laughs> no, God's will isn't always done. It's rarely done. We don't even do it often. And certainly we live in a broken world where some people never do God's will. So you can't get away from a broken world because God's will is not done in our world and it's broken. And then sometimes we shouldn't get away because we have responsibilities. Or it can be that part of the problem is our making and we would just take it with us. So obviously I'm not talking about just leaving everything. What I discovered in the midst of my circumstances is there's a different kind of a way, and I'm going to try to talk about it for a few moments, and this message will be over. <laughs> time out. I'm human. I'm like you. If you go through a tough time, what you want is you want God to fix your world. God set my world right side up again. But here's the point. In the middle of your crisis, that may not happen, but it doesn't mean that you have to be in turmoil until things are right again. Because there is a place where you can go in the midst of your crisis and get away. And that place is time with God. There is a different kind of a way. Let me talk to you about it for about five or ten minutes and we'll go home. Here's the first thing you should know. God is already watching you. You say, Mark, I feel like I'm all alone in the world. And I think that's one of the issues of when you really go through a difficult time, it's very hard to articulate what you're going through. It's hard to tell somebody what you're feeling. But understand this, God knows he is watching you. In Psalm 34, verse 15, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Well, therein lies the question that a lot of us have. Well, Mark, if God is watching me, why did he allow me to get into this mess? But that's the wrong question to ask. Because see, if the litmus test of God watching us is for us never to have any trouble, then we have some issues with the Bible because we look at the Bible and we have to ask questions. I mean, why is Daniel in the lion's den? Why is Joseph in prison? Why does Esther have to risk her life to save her people? Why is Moses constantly harangued by the people he's trying to deliver? Why do Mary and Joseph have to run to Egypt when they have the Christ child with them? Why can't Abraham and Sarah have a baby? Why does Paul spend a third of his ministry in prison? Why is Jesus on a cross? See, if the litmus test for God watching us is us never having any trouble, then everything that the Bible tells us is flawed. As God says, it's a troubled world and there are going to be difficulties. But in the midst of all these difficulties in this messed up world, isn't it good to know that God is watching us? 
And what he is asking us to do is to have an intimate getaway with God. Many of you who like me and you grew up in church, I'm going to read a scripture to you that you would have known since childhood, but my guess is it's about to take on a fresh new meaning. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks to us about praying and how to pray. In Jesus' day, there were religious people that loved to strut their stuff, and they prayed so that everyone could see them prayer. And every once in a while, somebody will say to me, he prays a beautiful prayer. I've yet to know what that means. I mean, it'd be like if you heard me talk to Mary Alice and say, Mark made a beautiful speech to Mary Alice. But no, I mean, I'm married to her. I talk to her. I, I share my heart with her. That's when it's beautiful is when she's hearing what's in my heart. But Jesus is talking about praying, and he's talking about in contradistinction to the Pharisees. He said, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father. Look, look at this. Who is in the secret place? Look at this. Your Father is in the secret place. Now, notice that, let's go back to that verse for just a moment. And uh, notice that God is inviting, Jesus is inviting us to go to our secret place because the Father is already in his secret place. Have you ever had to talk to somebody before when a lot of your future was bound up in the decision of that person and that person really wasn't paying attention to you? Maybe it was a boss, maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a lawyer or a doctor. I think a lot of us have the fear that when we talk to God, God is so busy that he can't take care of us, but God is not like us. See, here's the thing. We're made in God's image. God isn't made in our image. We're made in his image. He can do things that we can't understand. And what the Bible is saying is God, when, when, when Jesus says God is in a secret place, he is saying God is capable of a one-on-one -on -one intimate conversation with you. The challenge is not can we get God to pay attention to us the challenge is and always was, can God get Mark to pay attention to him? And that's where focusing comes in. I mean, Jesus said, go to your room. Some of you have a translation that says closet. In Texas, where I'm from, we don't have basements. The soil just won't allow for it. We have storm shelters. Or if you're rich, you have a safe room. That's the best translation. Jesus is saying, go to your storm shelter. Go to your safe room and talk to your father. He's already in his secret place. This is an intimate thing between you and God. It's not like God up in heaven just kind of overseeing his whole creation. God has the capability of having a one-on-one -on -one intimate conversation with you. He's already there. He's already waiting to talk to you. He's watching you. He knows what's going on in your life. The challenge is not, can God go to his secret place? The question is, will Mark go to his secret place? And I don't want to make this personal, but I have all kinds of issues. For one thing, I have technology so that I'm never completely away. I remember going to Hawaii for a week or so, and I wasn't away, really. I was answering emails. I was answering phone calls. I was making decisions. I was making calls. I mean, it's just the way our world works today. Cell phones, iPads, all kind of technology. And then beyond that, I have the privilege of being ADD. And I can be part of five conversations at one time. If I'm in a room in a party, if I, I, can, I can just talk to this group, talk to that group. I, I hear everything that's going on. My problem is I can't remember where I'm supposed to be at 3 o'clock today. <laughs> My issue is focusing. 
And that's what God had to show me when I was going through this really tough, tough time is, look, Mark, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it through this dark time if you don't go to your secret place. I want you to read what David said in Psalm 23. He said, when all hell breaks loose, I'm collected and cool. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing. What do you want, David? I want to live with him in his house. Okay, all of us who grew up in church were saying, David wants one thing. He wants to go to heaven. Oh, read on. I want to live with him in his house my whole life long. Oh, David's not talking about when he dies. He's talking about this life. He's saying, Lord, here's what I want to do. I want to hang with you. I want to be in your presence all my life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the, look at this, that's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. David said, hey, God, I want to be with you. That's the only place where I can get away. In verse 6, he said, God holds me in this place. God holds me head and shoulders above all who try to pull me down. I'm headed for his place. If you're going through a stress right now, a hard time, or anything like what I talked about, head for his place. I don't mean go to heaven. I mean get alone with God. Head for his place. And notice how David said he was going. He said, I'm headed for his place to offer anthems that will raise the roof. Already, I'm, I'm singing God songs. I mean, it's cool for you and me to sing in worship, corporate worship here at New Spring, but how are you at singing to God when you're in the secret place? David said, listen, I can't handle this world. It's too much for me. I want to be with God. I want to hang with him. I, I know he's already in the secret place. I'm going to my secret place to talk to him, and already I'm praising him for what he's going to do in my life. David was saying, I need a life flight. Well, for those of us who are Christ followers, someday we'll get the ultimate life flight. After we run our race, death will come. And we shouldn't fear death. I mean, after all, we have the idea that death means the end, but the word death in the Greek language just means separation. Did you know that you're never going to die if you're a Christ follower? Scholars tell us the most profound verse in the Bible is John eleven twenty six, 26, where Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That means the real you that's cognitive, that's alert, that makes decisions, that has values, that part of you is never going to die. When, when you die, someone will have to tell you, you know, they're having your funeral down there. Oh. hope it's a nice one. <laughs> Seriously. Death just means separation. I mean, we think about, we don't, we don't send the space shuttle up anymore, but there's always that moment, you know, where you have, the, you have the, the, the solid rockets that fall off and the liquid tank that falls off and the shuttle rises into the sky. I mean, that's what happens to us when we die. The real person, the inner person, the person who we really are goes to be with God and we just leave behind this body, which in my case is showing its age. Jesus talked about a guy named Lazarus who died in Luke 16, 22. He said, that finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels. How's that for a lifeline? That beats a helicopter. See, he didn't stop living. But let me just take a few moments to talk to you about our next series. Right as soon as this series is over, we're doing a series called Strange Days Indeed. And if you think we're living in strange days indeed, you're right. We're going to be talking about prophecy things, about how, how that God has prophesied about what's going to happen in the future, Jesus coming back. And the Bible tells us that Christ is coming back. And I like, th I like this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, We who are still alive and left 
We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. <laughs> That'd be cool to be dying, wouldn't it? But for now, that's somewhere out in the future. You don't have to wait until God takes you to heaven to find a safe place. Most of our scriptures today have come from Psalm 55, and when David was bringing it in for a landing, he said in Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. I think that's what we're talking about today. I think it's about saying, God, I need you to pick me up and carry me away, and I'm going to give you my burdens in the secret place. I had to close with this, because when you think about a, you know, someone carrying you away, I couldn't help but think about Luke 15. Mary Alice, my wife, loves all the things in the Bible about Jesus being the good shepherd. Psalm 23, John 10. But I, I think this is my favorite image of, of Jesus being the shepherd. He, Jesus said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. We don't have any idea what Jesus really looked like, but I love the portraits when I was a kid, the pictures. I know they may not be what he looked like, but my favorite portrait is seeing Jesus with the lamb around his neck. I think the reason I like that is because I, I understand. That's a metaphor for his relationship for me. There's going to be a time in my life where I'm, you know, as a, as a sheep, I'm, I'm either going to get myself in trouble or I'm going to go through a dark time like I went through last year. And I'm not going to be able to pull myself out of it. But when the, that time comes, isn't it good to know that I can be careflighted out by the Son of God who will put me on his shoulders and carry me if I'll let him? Would you bow your heads with me, please, for a moment? I've done this in the first three services. I don't rarely ever do this, but... I just want to take a moment to ask a question. Is there anyone here today, and with, in, in a moment of anonymity, with every head bowed and, and eyes being closed, I just wonder if there's somebody like me going through what I went through last year who would say, Mark, I really need Jesus to just put me around his shoulders and carry me. I know that's a metaphorical expression, but you know what we're talking about. You're just saying, I, I need him right now in my life and you'd like for me to pray for you. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Is I'd like to ask, ask you just to look up at me, and you don't have to shift your body or anything, but just look up at me and make eye contact, and, and, and I'm going to look down here, and I'm going to scan the audience for just a moment, and then I'm going to pray. But by that simple act of faith, not that I can help you other than to pray for you, but you're just saying, I need, I really need Jesus to pick me up and carry me right. Father, I pray that your grace might be upon those 
who by a simple act of faith have lifted their head to ask for prayer. Father, I know personally what it means to feel your love and comfort even in the darkest times. And you know their struggles and you know difficulties that they experience. And Lord Jesus, as the good shepherd, I ask you to come today in a tangible way and let them know that they're being taken to the secret place. For even though their circumstances may not change for a while, they can have a time of rest and peace in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I'm in overtime today, but could I ask you a question? I, asked, I talked about this in baptism, but do you have a relationship with God? And remember, a relationship with God is not about baptism or being a part of a particular church. What keeps us from having a relationship with God is the same thing that keeps us from having a relationship with others, our screw-ups. And God knows everything we've ever done or everything we've ever thought, so that means he knows all our screw-ups. The Bible calls them sin. And God is a perfect God, and, and the thing is, it messes up a relationship with him. Let me tell you why I don't like religion. Religion basically says if you get your life together, then God will accept you. But how are you ever going to be perfect? I can't be. And here's what God knew. He knew that we would spend the rest of our life trying to jump through hoops or what we often see in church, convince everybody else that we're okay. And what would we do with all the things we've done in the past? Guys, do you have any idea how much God loves you? What God wanted to do was to put all, take all your sin off the table from the past and present and future so that instantly you could have a relationship with God. God put his son on a cross and punished Jesus in your place so that you could have the gift of everlasting life. Let me quote the Bible to you so that you'll know this isn't Mark. The Bible says, it is by grace. The word grace means gift. Charis is the Greek word. Charisma, we got to work charisma from it. It is by grace that you are saved through faith, that's through believing, and that not of yourselves. Listen to Ephesians 2.8. It is the gift of God. And if you'd be willing to receive that gift, God would wash your sins away, birth you into his family. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but these are words of faith. These are words that call out to receive the gift. And if you'd like to pray with me, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Okay, here we go. Dear God, I know that I've done wrong, and I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus died in my place, and that he took my sins upon himself. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And today I receive him as my Savior and King. I put all my confidence in you, not in myself or in religion. I put all my confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.